This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by BP Trucking. BP Trucking. Are you stuck in a mall during a zombie apocalypse? Do you need to barricade those doors? Think of BP Trucking. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, a double feature. The late night double feature feature show. That's 1978 and 2004's Dawn of the Dead. But before we get there, like always... Slash cards. You ready? I'm ready. In 2004's Shaun of the Dead, what is the name of the pub where Shaun and company hide out to have a nice cold pint and wait for all of this to blow over? The Winchester. It is. Named after the rifle above the mantle there. Uh, It's also the last name of Sam and Dean from Supernatural, which we are still Watching Woohoo! short supernatural check-in. Carry on my we are almost done with the third season. Kelsey, what do you think? I love Dean. <laughs> she has the hots for Dean <laughs> like no one else. <laughs> it's a fun show. Like, okay, it has a lot of pro like a lot of problems. It does. Every time they ask Sam or Dean to, like, really act, <laughs> it's a problem. They are not really good actors. They're good at playing these characters. Yes. Not great actors. So when they have to have, like, these emotional moments. <laughs> like, there was an episode that we just watched called The Mystery Spot. <laughs> Where Dean dies over and over again, and <laughs> Sam is is living through a Groundhog Day, effectively, <laughs> where he has to watch Dean die over and over again. And the first couple times, he has to, like, really believe it, <laughs> and it's something else. <laughs> but, you know, the concepts are fun. The episodes are really fun. There's one all about fairy tales that was really fun. They just set up these re- these really kind of weak contrivances to have a new monster of the week a lot of the time. I'm not looking forward to when I think it's in the fifth season. Apparently it gets like really main plot heavy and they kind of ditch the monster of a week of the week for a while. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and that has been our supernatural check-in. <laughs> There'll be peace when you are done. All right, Kelsey, uh-huh. a timid young florist cares for a carnivorous plant with an insatiable appetite and a sassy attitude in this 1986 musical. Little shop, little shop of horrors, little shop, little shop of terrors, mm cha <laughs> You gonna keep going? <laughs> I could. Little shop of horrors, Kelsey loves little shop of horrors. I do. It is a very good movie. It is. I saw it for the first time with you. In theaters. Yeah, in the theater at midnight and fell asleep. 
And then we saw it again. Didn't we see it a second time in the theater, I feel like? No, just that one time. Oh, okay. But then they showed the original ending, too, which was pretty neat. The original cinematic ending. It is not the same ending as the play. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the original ending, The Little Shop of Horrors, you should. It's on the DVD, I think, or the Blu-ray or something. And uh, they spent like half the movie's budget on this ending and then ended up scrapping it. (laughs) But basically the what do you call them fly traps the audrey too yeah no i know the name i'm trying to think of what you would call the species uh but yeah basically audrey two and all of its other audrey three four five six and seven all of those uh end up taking over the world and it is a sight to see it's awesome (laughs) all right kelsey i'm really excited to talk about dawn of the dead yep classic movie written directed and edited by george (laughs) romero (laughs) and starring david emge ken forey scott reiniger and galen ross as our four main characters Kelsey, Mm -hmm. what is the premise of Dawn of the Dead? The dead have come back to life and are preying on the living, and our main characters that we watch uh, deal with this scenario go to a mall and try to wait it out until it all blows over. (laughs) All right. So if you haven't seen Dawn of the Dead, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, Go and see it. Now, here's the problem. It's almost impossible to see anywhere. It is literally unavailable. Mm-hmm. They they don't even sell the DVD or Blu-ray anymore. Like, it is almost impossible to. But there are a lot of versions on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So that's actually how we watched it. Uh, because, you know, I'm sorry, I would give you money to buy the movie, but you literally won't let me. Mm-hmm. So we had to get it somewhere else and we watched it on YouTube. So if you haven't seen it, take that opportunity and do so. Or if you can get your hands on the Blu-ray copy, uh, I hear it's really quite impressive. So go ahead and watch the movie. And when we come back, we'll talk about 1978's Dawn of the Dead. In 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. Dawn of the Dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. There is no more room in hell. The dead will walk the earth. Dawn of the dead. All right, Kelsey. Famous movie, Dawn of the Dead. What happens? Walk us through it. It starts really interestingly because it kind of just throws its audience into what's already happened. Yeah. We're told that it's been 12 hours and we're thrown into a news station, which is trying to keep on the air and talk about this crazy thing that's happening. Yeah. And there's just chaos and two of our main characters who are in a relationship and they both work on the show. One does, I think, traffic and the other one yeah, is does. just like a producer. Yeah. 
and they get on his helicopter because he knows how to fly it because he does the traffic. Yeah. And they just kind of go. And then we're just thrust into another situation that's happening at the same time. Which is nuts. I think it's really interesting to think about the implications of what would happen to our society. I mean, that's kind of what this is. This is a second in a trilogy starting with Night of the Living Dead um, where it's like things are starting and it's small scale in one house and with one group of people. And then this next one is it gets bigger and it's like the world now. Yeah. So last week I mistakenly said that this was not a sequel. Apparently it is, but we don't. You don't hear anything about what happened. No, it's not like a direct story sequel. It's like a scenario sequel. Right. These, like, all of the movies in this series don't necessarily follow the story one to two to three. It follows the outbreak of zombies. So, like I said, in the first one, it's really small. It's nobody knows what's going on and it just happens. The second one is this is an epidemic. It's a pandemic. And the world's going crazy. And then in the third one, Day of the Dead, it's trying to rebuild the society after this outbreak has happened. And then what we would do to try to, like, get on with our lives. Uh, So this is the one right in the middle. Actually, I watched Document of the Dead, which was a documentary made shortly after this movie came out. And it's had a few cuts and additions since then. But it's a little over an hour. It's also on YouTube. So, so you can watch it. And a guy is interviewing George Romero and they're walking around the mall set. And he says, so, you know, you had the first one. This is the second one kind of wraps up the story. And George Romero tells him, uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and he's like, really? You have more to talk about? And he's like, yeah. So he says the zombies are still dumb. So Night Living Dead is the, the beginning and this is the end. This is the middle. This is the middle of this. <laughs> There's oh, plenty of room for more. Okay. Zombies are still dumb. <laughs> and that gives you some insight into what he's going to do in the next movie, Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen that one, you should see that one, too. Anyway, so this new experience, what happens to our society, Kelsey? This is an example of what happens to American society. Yeah, so we're thrust into yet another situation. And this time... It is a SWAT team is going into an apartment building because it is filled with, they don't come out and say it, but it's filled with immigrants who have different opinions of how we treat the dead. And they don't believe in, you know, burning the bodies and shooting them in the head after they're already dead. Like, they believe that there's respect in being dead, etc. Unfortunately, you can't hold on to those kinds of beliefs in a situation like this. Yeah, uh, Roger... One of our main characters, the blonde. Well, is he blonde? Would you say he's blonde? I call yeah, he's him blonde. blonde. Yeah. He says, why do these people keep them here when they come across a bunch of dead bodies? And Peter, our other main character, says, because they still believe there's respect in dying. Why do these people keep them here? Because they still believe there's respect in dying. We follow the SWAT team, and then we get to know the blonde character, as Chris said. And then he just kind of comes upon the other guy, Foray, or Forey, however you say it. Yeah, Ken Forey. And he's like, I think they kind of bond really quickly because they realize they're on the same page. Yeah. 
They have no desire to kill living people, which one of the other SWAT team members is totally racist and wants to kill oh, a bunch of people. Oh, he loses his mind. He sees this as a great opportunity to, to live out his racist fantasies of getting rid of the scum. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're, they're invading this place is we hear really early on that the government has actually made it illegal to hole up in a private residence or anything similar. Like, you have to go to a government-run like sanctuary facility. And these people do not want to leave their homes. This tenement building is their own. This is this is where they have built their lives and they do not want it taken away by the government, which has been assumedly like oppressing them this entire time. Mm-hmm. And now here they come to take their homes away. So they're holed up in this place and the SWAT team comes in to get them out very violently. So he comes across Fori and they just kind of realize we're, we think the same thing. And the blonde guy is like, I'm kind of in the mood to get the fuck out. And Fori's like, yep, me too. Uh-huh. And so they decide to leave. How do they come across the helicopter? Uh, they were going there intentionally. I they, they don't make it too clear. I want to say that Roger and Steve Our know friends. each other. That's yeah. right. Yes. They, they have a, a friendship. Steve is the traffic guy. And so they go to the docks to meet them there. And then they go off and they have to stop a bunch to get gas and stuff. And they end up stopping, I think, accidentally at the mall, right? It's not a plan. Yeah. They need gas. Uh Uh-huh. And they just kind of realize, hey, this mall could be a good place to stay. Like, let's see what supplies we can get is their first thought. And then I believe it's Peter, Ken Forey, says something to the effect of, we could totally stay here. So they get there and they've got to get rid of all of the dead people that are already in there and they have to block off all the entrances. So they get there and they have like this, you know, first intention plan thing. And when they first stop there, it's important that they don't actually want to stay because our main couple, the woman we find out, is pregnant. She certainly doesn't want to stay there. Yeah. She wants to find some sort of society where they can be safe. She does yeah. not feel safe there. But the guys disagree and they just feel like, you know, we have everything we need here. Why risk it? It's also funny that when they first come across it, one of them says, oh, it's one of those big indoor malls. Yes. So <laughs> because at this the wasn't time, a big thing at the this time. This was a real mall and they filmed overnight. They would film from like 11 o'clock to 7 is when they had the place. But funny thing, at 6 o'clock... The music, the Muzak would automatically turn on and nobody knew how to turn it off. So they would stop filming at six and clean up in that hour that they had. But yeah, they had like full run of this place. And then come Christmas time, they didn't want to have to take down all the Christmas decorations, film and then put them all back up again. So they just didn't film in the mall during those couple months and instead went and filmed the newsroom stuff and the tenement building stuff. And at one point the girl asks, you know, like, why are they here? And Fori says, um, it must be some kind of instinct. This this must have been an important place in their life. Yeah, some kind of instinct, memory of what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory what they used to do this was an important place in their lives 
And this is when we get the commentary on modern society. And we also get that zombies still have natural instincts, right? Mm -hmm. They still try to continue to do things that they did in life that they repeated often. And one of those things is consumer shopping and that sort of thing. So going to the mall is a regular thing for these people that that go there. And they all they know is they just feel this instinct to go to the mall and consume. So they get inside and they turn everything on, right? And yeah. all the dead people are still walking around and we get several shots of the escalator and the escalator oh, is my favorite thing in the world. So good. Because the people <laughs> The zombies are just like, oh, and like they fall over and they're like, they're trying to like stand up straight. It's hilarious. It's really, really funny. So there's a coin termed for the bump in between two escalators, the bump at the bottom. Uh huh. It's called the Reiniger bump. <laughs> Colloquially, it's not officially known as that because it was just somebody on the on the crew or one of the actors who suggested that to get downstairs, since Reiniger's having such a fun time at that one part where they're, like, killing everybody, <sighs> that he jumps in that area between the two escalators and slides down it. Well, now there's a bump there to prevent you from doing that <laughs> because Scott Reiniger is Roger, who the one who actually did that. I th- thought that was pretty cute. <laughs> so something interesting is that when they're trying to board up the place so that nobody else can get in, he says, oh, the glass is not shatterable. Which is interesting because earlier the way they got in was by breaking glass. Yeah. Yep. Logic? No. Okay. <laughs> we right. don't know what glass they broke and, and they, they threw a toilet at it to make it break. So I guess there's that. So we find out that the girl is pregnant. Yes. And Fori says, we can deal with it. Do you want to abort it? It's not too late and I know how. Why do you know how to do an abortion? I think this is another kind of social commentary. Yikes. About, like, poor ghettoized people Yikes. in America not having ac- access to that sort of health care and having to do it themselves, which is incredibly dangerous, but sometimes people are driven to do that. So the woman is just like, do I not get a vote here? Yeah, like, I, I don't want to abort my child. Well, that's why he did ask, if you want to, I know how. And you can see why it would even they be offered They don't ask up. her. Right, right. Well, because he's talking problem. to Stephen, and she's in the other room. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, she looks sick. And she's like, yeah, no. Or and Stephen says something about, how, yeah, she's, she's pretty fucked up from this whole situation, aren't we all? And he's like, no, I mean, like, physically ill. And that's when he reveals, yeah, she's pregnant. And so they're having this conversation with her in the other room. Also, she's smoking the whole time. And this yep. is 1978. Didn't we know by then that you shouldn't be smoking while you're pregnant? Probably. Jesus. I honestly don't know. I mean, we were still smoking in restaurants at that point. I understand. I, I remember people smoking in, in mm-hmm. restaurants. It's just smoking while pregnant seems really fucked up. But uh, so, yeah. So she says, nobody cares about my vote. You guys just don't see that this is a prison. So staying in this mall seems like a sanctuary to them but for her it's like no this is a prison we can hold it and up in this place but then we can't leave yep but i mean you always have the helicopter it's not going anywhere right and they talk about that you commented at one point in the in the movie about how you think maybe george romero doesn't have a high opinion of women because of the woman that's in night of the living dead 
being kind of useless. She's so useless. All the women in Night of the Living Dead are totally useless. Barbara. (laughs) They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're coming for you, Barbara. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... At one point, one of them, one of the zombies gets up in there and she runs away and she tries to, like, climb up this thing, which, looking back on it, that is pretty cool, but at the time, it was very, like, fucking seriously Well, you'll notice something else. Like, even in that scenario and any other scenario, she never once screams in terror, which is something that apparently he asked her to do, and she said, no, I don't think she would do this. I think she's stronger than that. And he agreed. Apparently, from all the crew and everything... They think that George Romero, like, he has this vision, but he is incredibly open to, like, building a film as a community of filmmakers. And if you have an idea, as long as it's not awful, he'll go, let's do it. It's a joy working with George because he, you know, he accepts a lot of input in terms of what I see or, you know, it's amazing. There's even suggestions that come oftentimes from crew members, you know, through me and, uh, He's very willing to accept those uh, those observations, and you know a lot of his film is input from the crew. There's a lot of freedom. It's a real democracy with George. We discuss it, and usually there are very few words exchanged. You know, there are ideas and a few words, and we've got it. The man's like a, like water in your ship, so you just you know just float along and do the job. And so he took her advice. He's like, no, that's great advice. And he never once asked her again to scream while while they were in the movie. Because I think he he recognized that, yeah, no, she could be a strong female character to the point where she's like, never again am I going to be left without a gun after that attack. Mm -hmm. And you need to teach me how to fly this helicopter. Because logically, you're the only one here who can use it. And if something happens to you, we're fucked. Mm-hmm. And we do see a little montage moment of him teaching her how to fly the helicopter. Yes. At one point, the zombies are called nothing but motorized instinct, which I love. Yeah. That's a perfect explanation of what they are. And that they must be extinguished on sight. I think that's the weird doctor that they watch on TV a lot. They must be destroyed on sight. Dr. Millard Rausch, mm-hmm. the one-eyed scientist, the one-eyed doctor, he says... The normal question, the first question is always, are these cannibals? No, they are not cannibals. Cannibalism in the true sense of the word implies an intraspecies activity. These creatures cannot be considered human. They prey on humans. They do not prey on each other. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. They attack and they feed only on warm human flesh. Intelligence? Intelligence? Seemingly little or no reasoning power. What basic skills remain are more remembered behaviors from uh, normal life. There are reports of these creatures using tools, but even these actions are the most primitive. The use of external articles as bludgeons and so forth. I might point out to you that even animals will adopt the basic use of tools in this manner. These creatures are nothing but pure motorized instinct. We must not be lulled by the concept that these are our family members or our friends. They are not. They will not respond to such emotions. They must be destroyed on sight. Yeah, and that's really great. Earlier in the film, when they're at the tenement thing, it's like people had a problem with killing these things. And it's like, 
maybe it's just because I, I know what a zombie is that like for me it would I'm sorry honey you get bitten I'm gonna fucking kill you yeah <laughs> but in the movie they show a lot of people that hesitate because it's like no this is a human what am I doing and it's like they are not human yeah and it's needing to come to that realization everyone gets really mad when the scientist says stuff like this mm-hmm. you know they they freak out and they're very reactionary and it's it's really interesting that they showed that that portion so they decide that they need to kind of man all the doors. They decide to block them with big trucks. And she, as Chris said, she's like, you know, I'll never be left without a gun again. All this stuff. And she goes, there's four of us, okay? And Fori goes, yeah, but you're not coming out with us until you learn how to handle yourself. Mm-hmm. So they decide to teach her how to shoot a gun, which is awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then we get the truck scene. And the music is Fucking Roger, really man. silly. Yeah. The, the music is by two groups. Number one, it's by the Goblins. And number two, of all people, Dario Argento. <laughs> because Dario Argento fucking loved Night of the Living Dead. And when he found out that George Romero was writing this movie, he was like, stop. You are coming to Italy. You're spending time in my villa. <laughs> and you're writing this movie here with me. <laughs> and he didn't disturb him while he wrote the the movie. He just, you know, read the pages as they were coming out. And he provided them international funding. He bought the international rights. So he created his own edit, which took out a lot of the comedy. Because this is a very comedic movie. Mm-hmm. But that provided them with the funding they needed to make this movie happen. It might not have happened otherwise. Well, the music is quite comedic. So yeah. it's <laughs> odd to me that he took out the comedic elements. The music is silly. So the truck scene is very intense. Yeah. But a little long. It's it's a little too long. The movie in general is a little too long. Every, yeah. Every time I'm like, this scene is super intense. And it's like. Wait, why hasn't it ended yet? Yeah. Why is uh-huh. it still going? Um, it needed to be a little bit more edited. Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. So we get to see Roger. And as Chris said earlier, he was having a lot of fun killing off all the zombies. I mean, I imagine that if you're a fucking SWAT person, like, it's in you. Well, yeah. And you can you can kill with impunity. Right. With know? no regard because yeah, these are not, not human. human. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he has a little too much fun. Yeah, he starts going a little nuts and aggressive. And at one point, Ken has to stop him and go, collect yourself. You're being reckless right now and something bad is going to happen. And sure enough, something bad does happen. He gets overwhelmed a couple of times during this process. And one of those times he drops his bag in between trucks and ends up getting bit on the arm and the leg by these zombies. And that is doom for Roger. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fori even says at one point, would you stop being so fucking cocky? Yeah, because he is. And that's what got him killed. Yeah, so we have this moment, just to jump ahead, we don't need to intercut it later, where he's sick and they're they're taking care of him throughout a large portion of this movie and he can't really walk. And at one point he gets so sick that he's just lying in bed and Peter knows it's coming. And so he just sits in the room with him and just waits for him to die. And waits for him to come back up and then kills him. Because mm-hmm. Roger says, you got to wait. Yeah, I'm not going to kill you when I'm you're going to try. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm going to try to not come back. Right. I'm going to fight it. But if I if it does happen, kill me. Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. 
So one question that I had during this scene while we're watching all these people, uh, all the zombies, how long does it take for them to starve to death? Can they starve to death? So they have they have varying levels of how like fucked up they are. Um, and and yeah, they can get pretty fucked up. And if you watch other zombie movies, they take this and run with it. Uh, Walking Dead does it a lot. Like the longer they go, the less ambulatory they become. Right, because they are they're rotting. Yeah, they're rotting corpses. So eventually, they're going to disintegrate. Essentially, right? I mean, they showed that in Walking Dead. You should look up an article on Cracked.com, which fucking sucks now because they fired all their talent. But uh, way back when, many, many years ago, they wrote an article about how the zombie apocalypse would never succeed and how we would take them out in a fucking heartbeat. And one of the reasons was they're rotting flesh and eventually they will decay. Like they'll continue to decay just like a normal body would. And eventually they would die out. The other part is that their food source and their source of reproduction are one in the same. Mm-hmm. So they have to sacrifice one for the other. Mm-hmm. And so do they continue existing themselves or do they create more zombies? One of those things is going to f- is gonna lag behind. And there's a lot of reasons why a zombie apocalypse wouldn't really succeed. So I suggest you go find that article and read it. Yeah, I just I feel like Romero didn't think about that because it never comes up. Well, because fucking zombies weren't even really a thing in film until him. Right. I understand that. And it's it's fine with Night of the Living Dead because we only see one night. Yeah. But this is months. Yeah. And we see that through her pregnancy. And so my my question remains, how long does it take? Yeah. How do they just continue to live forever until they decay? I think so. Hmm. I also like that Forey also says to him, you better screw your head on right. Um, it's both of our lives on the line. Yeah. All right, Trooper. You better screw your head on. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. Let's go. I mean it, man. Now, you're not just playing with your life. You're playing with mine. Now, are you straight? You are having a lot of fun, and that's great. But my life is here, too. Yeah. As are the other two I'm who are still in the on building. You surviving, yeah. Mm-hmm. So once they see that he's been bitten, they're like, "Well, we know you're gonna fucking die." And he's just like, "You can't kill me yet. There's a lot to get done before you lose me." Yeah. So it's like, keep me working until I can't anymore. And yeah. so they do, and they carry him around on a gardening. It is so great. Yeah. <laughs> they got him in this little wheelbarrow that they found. Yeah. And so Forey can push him around and he's just shooting people. It's so good. Being pushed around. It's really funny. It's really well done. You end up hating Steve. Did you hate Steve? I hated Steve. Steve fluctuates. He's off and on. He's not like the dude in the remake who's always obnoxious and has no redeeming moment, really. In this one, he goes off and on. Like, he treats her like... She's secondary to him because she's the woman and he's the man. Mm -hmm. And then she puts him in his place and he's like, you know what? You're right. And so there's moments like that where he fluctuates. Like his instinct is to be a dick. (laughs) But he's not opposed to bettering himself. You know what I mean? I love the scene where they've got all these plans to go and get supplies and stuff. Yeah. So they're holed up in, I think, like the department store, one of them. And... 
for some reason, they need to lock it up or something. And he totally drops it. And she's just like, Jesus Christ, Steve. Like, yeah. you fucking idiot. <laughs> and it's because of him and his idiocy that this nun gets stuck in there with yeah. her, like, headdress. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of opens it, let her go, and then closes it. This which may be really apocryphal, funny. but apparently she was supposed to be killed as well, like in a scene we're supposed to see her killed, but we're, we never see the nun killed because he liked her so much. <laughs> he thought she was adorable, and so he didn't want her killed on screen. And then they realize, uh, after they've killed all of the people, they realize we can't just leave these people in here because it's a bunch of rotting corpses. And so then they have to clean them up. And I just love the methodical points behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, okay, first we have to close up all the doors. Yeah. Then we have to kill all the zombies. Now we got to get rid of the zombie bodies. I just, I love that he thought about that process step by step. I liked that. Like the first movie is all about surviving, right? The second movie is, is about trying to live again. Like, yes. like, like, what would what would life be like? And then the third movie is about creating a society again. Right. So then we get this montage of them falling prey to consumerism because they're surrounded by all the stuff and they don't need any money for it. So they just kind of keep getting, they keep, what's the word, accumulating things. Right. But it's also kind of okay. And we see that juxtaposed with they do a lot of things like, you know, they find a nice watch. You know what? I'm going to pick a watch. I'm not going to take all the watches. I'm just going to pick a watch, the one that I like. We're going to go to the bank and we each get a wad of cash because you never know. <laughs> maybe cash will still be useful. And they take the picture with this really cute moment where they pose for the security cameras. It's hilarious. Really cute. And then they walk the turnstiles yes. in the bank. Yes. I thought that was really cute too. But then that's juxtaposed with the bikers who we'll talk about in a bit who run roughshod over the place. They steal all the watches. They take all the money out of the bank. They, they, they don't like... It's not reasonable or adorable, you know? Right. But what's interesting about this montage is that throughout, it's the woman who seems the most unhappy. Yeah. Throughout it. hmm Which I thought was interesting, because usually it's considered that women are more into things than yeah. men are. Uh-huh. So I thought that was really interesting. She seems kind of just sad throughout all of it. Yeah. And I really, really loved it, but again, it goes on for too long. Yeah. It goes on for too long. It does. They could have shortened it. But, I mean, again, we're, we're watching this movie is about the details. What what do we have to do to deal with this? And part of that is maintaining your sanity. And we see what that would be like in this world. So at one point they get up on the roof and the woman says very far off. That's my pro- I think that's my biggest problem with her is that she just seems very Aloof. like I'm better than you. Yeah. I see the hypocrisy in all of this. Mm-hmm. Don't you see that this place is a prison? And that that shit bothers me. Yeah, um, her and Peter both kind of philosophize a lot. So she goes, what are they? And that's when Forey gets his famous line of, um, when there's no more room in hell, the, wa- the dead shall walk the earth. They're still here. They're after us. They know we're still in here. They're after the place. They don't know why they... Just remember, remember that they want to be in here. What the hell are they? They're us, that's all. There's no more room in hell. What? Something my granddaddy used to tell us. You know Makumbo? Voodoo. 
granddad was a priest in Trinidad. He used to tell us, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And that's like the tagline for this movie. So then, yeah, then we get to see that, and this takes a long time because she goes from being like four months pregnant where you can't tell to a couple months pregnant where we can tell. And that's when Roger finally becomes ill. So yeah. it's really interesting that, you know, different people seem to take different amounts of time. I mean, that's something that all movies And he's will also do. like a tough guy and he's fighting against it. And we don't get to see a lot of people turn into zombies in this movie, actually. That's true. But considering how much had happened in 12 hours. Yeah. So he wasn't killed by the wound. He was basically killed by the virus. Right. And they don't really explain that either. And I mean, I love that throughout the movie, it's just like, we don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't fucking know. We don't understand this thing. Yeah. And so, but they also can use that to get away with that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, who knows how long it'll take certain people to turn so then we cut to Fori gives the couple a nice date dinner, which is cute. And then Steve gives her a ring to get married. Yeah. And it's hard because Steve's an idiot, but she's also kind of being a bitch. She's being a real big bitch. About, like, not that she should say yes, that he's entitled to a yes. Right. But it's like they are a couple. They didn't stop being a couple when this when this happened and they are committed to one another mm -hmm. but she's like nihilistic now yeah and she's like what's the fucking point yeah you she know? says it wouldn't be real yeah uh-huh he doesn't handle it great no but neither did she yeah. and it's just like you guys are just kind of both dicks <laughs> <laughs> oh and so he constantly steve constantly tries to keep the mood upbeat Earlier in the film, you know, when they when she's like, you know, you don't see that this is a prison. He says, like, you know, well, you're the one that wanted to settle down. And she gives him this yeah, look like, uh -huh. fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, like, at one point he takes a picture of her and she goes, great. And when you're done, we'll drop it off at the drugstore. Yeah. See what I mean? Like, she is really kind of a downer. <laughs> she is. And, I mean, like, true, he's being an idiot. Yeah. But it's his only way of trying to keep the mood light. Yeah. And she Which we see in this movie is important. Exactly. And she could have been more susceptible to that. Yeah. But instead, she's just like, fuck you. The world's over, you yeah, know? Uh -huh. And they're both in the wrong. But she changes a little bit by the end. We'll get there. Yeah. And, and then again, when he's trying to keep the TV on. Yeah. And she's just like, there hasn't been a broadcast in three days. Why don't you give it up? Are you insane? And there's this real domestic moment that we get here. So she they all sitting down to dinner. He has the TV on. She's told him to t take it off. He didn't. So she gets up and turns it off. She comes back, sits down. Then he gets up and turns it back on wordlessly and antagonistically. And it's like this is like a domestic dispute. And poor Fori is just sitting there like, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's really awkward for me. Really glad I could be here uh -huh. for this. Then she goes, what has become of us? And it's like, yes, you are right. We have, you know, we've devolved. Absolutely. Yeah. But don't pretend like you're not. I mean, I guess she says us, but it feels very accusatory. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, technically I'm considered part of this group, but, you know, it's it's pretty. And if you look at Fori's face, he's just like, God 
damn it. Because like, Fori is doing his best. He to really just is. Get by. Like we even see him playing racquetball by himself. You know. Like, so when this when this movie starts off, we're following Fran. She's the character in the in the beginning of the movie. She's, she's the very kind first of like our meet. protagonist. Mm-hmm. But I think really, actually, the protagonist and kind of the heart of the movie is Peter. Yeah, he's great. There are a couple times where he seems like he's a dick. Yeah. But he always makes up for it. Yeah. Every time he says something that's like, whoa, he always backs it up with like a logical reasoning for why he's doing what he's yeah. doing. Uh-huh. But like I said, when she's like, what has become of us? The look on his face is just like, fuck. <laughs> now we got to fucking leave because she's not happy. Great. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> That's when we get our bikers. Go ahead. Yeah. So Tell they see through binoculars that there is a helicopter on the mall. Which is what? Admittedly, that's what the chick was most ups- like worried about. Is we will be found. Or was here. it Forey? I can't remember which one it was. One yeah. of them said, with that up there, we are sitting ducks. Yeah. Someone is going to come along and come after us. And of course, I think it was Steve who was like, we've got all the egg- The doors all belonged to him. He's a fucking idiot. Right. But continue. Yeah, pretty bad. They call them on the radio and say, hey, we don't like people that don't share things. And then we're and they don't respond. And so they're like, okay, fine, we're gonna come in there by force. And they do. And this is the moment when for the first time, not the first time we hear the word, but the first time a character in a George Romero zombie movie says the word zombie. In the first movie, we hear it on the radio once. Uh, but in this movie, Ken Forey's Peter says, when they open those doors, there's going to be a thousand zombies in here. With those bay doors open, there's going to be a thousand zombies in here. That'll take the heat off us. Because they try to start breaking in and they can't. Uh, so they open up the service gates where people get shipments in. And then like when they open up those doors, there's going to be a thousand zombies in here. And Peter's thought is, good, we're safe where we are. We can watch them from safe vantage points and watch them have to deal with all the zombies and that'll thin their ranks a little bit. But fucking Steven gets all <laughs> gung-ho and manly and no, this is our place. So fucking And he stupid. feels the need to start firing on them when they're no, they don't even know where they are. Mm-hmm. And that causes a lot of problems, but it ultimately leads to Steven's death. Mm-hmm. He's in on top of an elevator And he ends up getting shot, which is one of the most realistic gunshot wounds I've ever seen. It was just such a real moment where it doesn't cut away. It doesn't flash or anything like that. It's he's sitting there. He's crouching, trying to stay away from the gunfire when the guys are in the elevator shooting up at him. And then he gets pegged in the arm and it starts bleeding. And he's like and he grabs it and he's like in pain. And it just felt really real. But at one point, he gets attacked by zombies, and the next time we see the doors open, he is zombified Steven. Mm-hmm. And I think, I agree, but multiple people comment about how David Emge is the best zombie in this movie. Because he walks around on what looks like a broken ankle, oh my god. <laughs> His shuffle is really great, he has the the gun on his finger 
he doesn't know what he's supposed to do with it, but he knows it's supposed to be in his hand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he's walking around. And so it's pretty famous seeing him as a zombie. And now the only two that are left are Peter and Fran, and they need to deal with these bikers. And we see these bikers running amok. They're destroying the place, and they are having a bigger blast than our characters were. They're going all out. And this Pies scene goes on forever. It does. It really does. But we get a lot of really cool kills in this way. Samurai sword chopping a head off. We get a the sort pies of... pies are fucking dumb. That's apparently an inside joke. I don't care. About how somebody, like, they're like, oh, how do we deal with these zombies? And somebody's like, ah, just hit them in the face with a pie. And they're like, you know, let's put that in the movie. And um, we get, like, a machete to the head, which looked great. This is probably at the point we should mention that tom savini who did the makeup for uh for this movie and the special effects and he was also a stunt man and he worked on friday the 13th which has a similar uh in i think the third one has a similar machete to the side of the head thing Mm -hmm. he is also one of these bikers he's the biker you probably see the most yes and if you've seen from dusk till dawn he is sex machine yes he's the guy that has a revolver cock (laughs) (laughs) i love from nestle though yeah but he's very recognizable and you'll see him right away and he gets to do a lot of the cool kills because he was also one of the stuntmen but ultimately they they are forced to flee and a lot of them are killed Uh, including one which peter's like no fuck you you're dying (laughs) and he shoots him with the sniper rifle uh, and he falls out and he gets ripped apart and so then just peter and fran are left the bikers are gone but the place is getting overrun by zombies and they're forced to flee and at one point four he goes i don't want to go go without me he helps her get out and then he's like fuck it i can't keep doing this i can't keep running which makes zero sense at the time. Well, you think people are gonna... He's like, this is my perfect opportunity to just end it here. I can't start again with another journey. And he just gets really, like, fucking depressed, basically. And he holds a gun to his head and he's about to kill himself as he's being surrounded by zombies. And then he... when And she's... She waits. She waits for, for a, a while to see time. if he's gonna come. And then he decides, no. You know what? I can do it. I can charge through. He he gets like a Hulk out moment. And then we get like A-team type music. Immediately. I love that you and I both were like, this sounds like the fucking A-team. <laughs> 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 um, and he just starts like blowing him air, away. Sh- like shooting him and kicking him. And, <laughs> and he, he climbs his way out and he pops out of the out of the skylight. Just as she's starting to just leave. Just as he's starting to leave. And then he gets in and they start to fly away. He gets comfortable in the helicopter. He says, how much fuel do we have? And Fran responds, not much. And he says, all right. And that's the end of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was a pretty great ending. The idea that this isn't over. We're not suddenly safe now. We have a new problem to worry about, and we will never know what happens to Fran and Peter. I like to think that they're living happily. With their new kid? Yep. <laughs> yep. So, Kelsey. Yep. Lightning round? Yes. Okay, go ahead. This was my first time watching the entire film. I tried watching this a long time ago, 
and I had no idea what was going on because it thrusts you into this situation and the sound quality is not great. We, we had trouble understanding it at first. There's all this noise and all these things that are going on. So what they're saying gets drowned out. Yeah. And it's from 78. So the sound quality is not good. Yeah. So the first time I tried watching it, it starts with the newsroom scene and then it cuts straight to the tenement scene and it gives you no background. Yeah. It doesn't show you what's happening. So if you're unable to understand what the fuck these people are saying, my response was, I don't understand. Yeah. I don't, like, I felt when I was watching it, I was like, did I start it in the middle? It's a real bummer because all the versions on YouTube, there's only one that has closed captions and they're off. Like, they're they're like a good 10 seconds early. And that really fucking sucks. And at least on the app on Apple TV, which is where we were watching it, you can't adjust the speed or offset the captions at all. So we had to watch a version that had the best audio, which unfortunately was not the widescreen version. It was a full screen version. I can't tell you how much that bugged me. (laughs) But so I ended up turning it off. Yeah. I never even saw them get to the mall. I never even saw them get in the fucking helicopter. It's a good, like, half hour before they get to the mall. And now that I've seen it, I'm like, that was a really interesting way of starting it. Yeah. But it is confusing, and it is jolting. Yeah, and it starts in chaos. Exactly. And then, and then the second location, more chaos. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie is fucking chaos, except for the few moments... In the third act or so where it's just, oh, we've, we've cleaned out this area and it's peaceful. But other than that, it's all chaos. And then that jump from the newsroom to the tenement is chaos. And I really like it, but those are things you got to think about when you're a filmmaker. Yeah. Like, Well, but that's, that's the feeling he was trying to impart upon you. He actually started out, George Romero, he started out in television. And so he has a lot of that behind the scenes of what it's like to film a television show and it is chaos. And so he wanted to convey that with the first scene at the television studio. And that was specifically what he was going for. And so it might've been disorienting, but that was actually what he wanted. I love the line. There's a doctor being interviewed in the first uh, scene. Yeah. And I love the line. It gets up and kills. They get up and kill. So the line is, Every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. Every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. I love yeah, that line. it's a really good line. <laughs> um, let's talk about the zombies a little bit, Kelsey. The makeup. So we mentioned Tom Savini. He is a fantastic makeup artist. To see some of the stuff he does with specific zombies is incredible. But even he was disappointed in the way the coloring turned out. It seems like a bad 70s schlock B-movie where he commented on it turned out way too green. Now, they didn't need to worry about it in the first film because it was black and white. Mm -hmm. But in this one... I guess they weren't prepared for showing this on film, and it looks kind of cheesy. It does. It looks like they've got makeup on, which is not what you want. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he does fun things with the makeup, and they're all unique, and it's all designed around how he thinks they died. So 
you know, there's one guy who was already dead and you'll see he's in a suit and he's wearing a lot of makeup because the background behind that character is that he had already died and the mortician had put him in his suit and did all the makeup and everything. And that's when he rose from the dead. So there's fun stories behind a lot of these characters. It's really interesting. That's cool. Amidst all this chaos, I think it's Steven trying to get into the the thing. And he's like, the, the fucking security guard won't let him in until he finds his ID. And I'm just like, really? It's the end of the goddamn world and we're worried about IDs? Yeah, it's authority still carries a lot of weight. You know, you see that even in the sequel where it's like he's a fucking cop, you know, like and that's used as a point to be like, we should trust this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, But this movie subverts that a little bit by the tenement scene, by showing you that sometimes authority, especially in times of crisis, is fucking awful. Also, I don't know if you caught this in the midst of all this chaos, when people are finally starting to abandon the TV station, one guy runs behind the doctor and gives him bunny ears. Did you see that? No. Oh my God, it made me laugh. That's really funny. Yeah, because people, hey, it's live on television. What are we going to do? Nobody's going to fucking, what, what am I going to go to jail? Are they going to find me? <laughs> I also love that when Steven is trying to convince Fran to come with him, uh, he's like, you know, let's meet at this time. She's just like, I just don't know. And this dude behind the camera is like, just go. Our responsibility here is done. Yeah. I bet you by nine o'clock or by midnight or whatever it is he says, we're going to be taken over. Mm -hmm. So just go. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We talked about how this movie is more comedic than Night of the Living Dead. And we talked about the makeup being kind of goofy, all the silly scenes, the music and all of that. We didn't talk about how the blood is almost neon. That was not intentional. But they just went with it because it fit in with George Romero's aesthetic style with this movie. He wanted it to be like a comic book. He has a line about that in Document of the Dead. But I I used to read some of those when I was little, like the old school black and white horror comic books. And Night of the Living Dead feels very much like one of those really old black and white ones, which is why in 68, when there was color film, it was still in black and white. And I'm sure it was also because of the cost. (laughs) Black and white film was really cheap at the time. And now this one is a color comic book. And you can see in a lot of the way it's framed, like George Romero, he does his own writing. He does his own editing. He has, he is very much in a tour and the producer feels the same way. This is produced by uh, Richard Rubenstein. He says that his job is to make sure this happens, give Romero whatever he needs to make it happen, and get out of his way. I think that we tend to operate in more European style in terms of the way we produce and the way George directs, and that uh, we tend to follow Saris's O'Tour theory of direction in that uh, I see my function as a producer in, in terms of providing George Romero with a brush, palette, and canvas. And his creative control is absolute in terms of the uh, film itself, uh, that he's the script writer, that he's the director, and that he's the editor. And he has this vision that it's a comic book, and 
even in his storyboards that he did, it's shot because a storyboard is basically, if you don't know, it's basically a comic book of the movie. So you have down before you spend all the money and before you stage everything, what each shot, not each scene, each shot of the movie is going to be and how the characters are going to be framed and all of that. It's done ahead of time. And he does that himself and he drew it out like it was a comic book and then filmed it as such, which is why we have the goofiness it's why we have the the punching and all of that all the the fights and he does that kind of stuff because it's all very punctuated um with each attack and so i can definitely see i could i could imagine in my head what every one of these storyboard shots looked like because it was communicated very much that way and his vision of a comic book movie uh came to life for me so during the tenement scene, when Steve and uh, Forey are bonding, they go down to the basement at one point and they find a ton of dead people and they're eating other people, right? Yeah. And they just start shooting them. And it's really interesting because the zombies don't attack and they don't react to the gunshots. Yeah, because they don't have an instinct to protect themselves. They just have an instinct to consume. That makes sense. And there's a really great line in there. The priest tells them they run into a priest who's like Dominican or something. And he tells them where they keep the dead. He's like, I read them their last rites and everything like that. You'll find them in the basement locked up. And he says to them, you are stronger than us. Like because he's saying, "I, I think the people here will give up now. I don't think you'll be fighting us any longer we'll go with you uh you are stronger than us but soon i think they'll be stronger than you when the dead walk senores we must stop the killing or we'll lose the war you are stronger than us well soon i think they'll be stronger than you when the dead walk senores we must stop the killing or we lose the war. Because every time they kill somebody, they rise as a zombie, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, they're diminishing their own numbers. So they diminish their numbers and add to the zombie numbers. Speaking of numbers, 93 deaths in this movie. Huh. 17 of them are actual humans and 76 of them are zombies. <laughs> somebody took the time to count those? Yep, Jesus. apparently. When they're at the docks, they run into this these this group of marauders who end up getting on a boat. And at first, they're interested in the helicopter, and then they realize we can't fucking fly a fucking helicopter. So they just kind of go about their own business. And one of them says, hey, you got any cigarettes? And they're all like, no. And then as soon as they get up into the, into the helicopter, she takes out a cigarette and starts smoking it. And Forey, like, smiles at her. And that was exactly what I was thinking when he said, do you guys have any cigarettes? My response was, no. And if I did, I wouldn't give it to you because it's the end of the goddamn world. Yeah. <laughs> These are probably the last ones I'm ever going to have. Yeah. But she gets more because they're in a mall. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the rating. This movie was unrated from the word go. So if you ever see that there's an unrated version, well, yeah, because the theatrical version was unrated because the MPAA was going to give them an X rating. And the producer and George Romero, so Rubenstein and Romero, were both like, no, we can't 
have that happen. And so they elected to not have it rated at all because X meant obscene. X had associations with pornography. And he didn't have any problem, like the distributors didn't have any problem with restricting access because everywhere it showed, because it was unrated, even if you had a parent with you, you couldn't get in if you were under 18. And that's exactly what an X rating would have done anyway. So the access or the ticket sales, that wasn't the problem. It was about maintaining the integrity of the film and not associating it with the obscene. Um, and apparently it was the right choice because the movie did very well for its budget. So one of the times when they stop for gas before they make it to the mall, Forey decides to go off on his own. And his reasoning is that he needs he's going to go see if there's supplies because they haven't found the mall yet, yep. right? And in and when he goes in there, there are these two kids that come out and attack him, and they actually run. Murderous children, yeah. Uh, that's actually mentioned in the trivia on IMDb that these are the only running zombies in this movie. Yeah, because we now, as a society, are used to zombies running, but they didn't used to. They used to be really, really slow. They kind of ran in Night of the Living Dead. Like I don't the remember the very that. first zombie when it's attacking her and when she puts the car in neutral and it starts rolling down the hill and he kind of like chases after the car. So they run a little bit, but it's almost like it's not like they can't run. It's that they don't have a sense of urgency. <laughs> they just have a singular focus and they'll get there when they get there. A la Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> but so he ends up having to kill these two kids and... I was just like, wow, 28 Days Later just straight up stole that. At one point, they stopped to get gas from the gas station. Yeah. And main guy, for different reasons, not because they need supplies, but because he wants to show that he's manly. Yeah, he goes off on his own. And and has to kill a kid who runs after him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, they totally just stole that. Speaking of IMDb trivia, it was a mess getting through this. Because something like, I didn't actually count, but what seemed like 90% of the trivia was just identifying all the different zombies. Like, <laughs> like who played them. <laughs> and there are some cameos in here, but it's a bunch of cameos from people whose names I don't recognize. Another line that I love from Forey is when he's talking to Steven. And he goes, wake up, sucker. We're thieves and we're bad guys. Because Steven was just kind of trying to tell him that, like, you know, we're, we're the good guys or whatever. And he's yeah, like, no, uh, we're fucking not. We're no. stealing things. Yeah. We stole this helicopter. And we're murdering. You know, they may not be people, but we're still killing them. Yeah. Right? But they're like, breaking the law is what they're doing. Yes. We are not on the side of justice here because this isn't a matter of justice. If we were to say, you know, live by standard morals, then we'd be the bad guys. And I think his point is we cannot live by the morals that we used to know mm-hmm. let's talk about the blood pressure cuff that's dumb so there's a mexican biker who wears a sombrero <laughs> there's a lot of racism in this yeah. he goes to try out the blood pressure cuff early on in the movie and one of them says no time to play yeah uh-huh which is funny because they're looting but that would be like sedentary and no you need to get up and destroy shit um and we're being attacked so he doesn't get to do it and so when it becomes clear that he's being overwhelmed he decides 
well, fuck it. I'm doing this blood pressure cuff. So silly. And the motivation was strictly because we could. That's that's specifically, I think it's Romero that says this in Document of the Dead. Because we could. <laughs> yeah, so when he's getting swarmed, he decides to put his arm in the blood pressure cuff and try it out. Because he really wanted to do that. <laughs> and... He ends up getting killed while on there and getting ripped out of it. And his arm stays in the blood pressure cuff while it tests his blood pressure. And the pressure is zero. <laughs> <laughs> and we see it still working and like squirting out blood. And it's pretty funny, I thought, but completely like they're unrealistic. Yes. But I got to say, the draw to blood pressure cuffs is pretty intense. I remember any time I'd go into a CVS... <laughs> Or the pharmacy section of an Albertsons when I was little and my parents were like picking up a prescription, I'd go right to that blood pressure cuff. And I had no idea what the results meant. I just loved doing it. Well, one, one like a couple years ago for career day, I had my aunt come in uh-huh. and she's a nurse. And so she brought some stuff. The kids went wild to get their blood pressure uh-huh. taken. I'm like, what are you like? You have to do this every time you go to the fucking hospital. But they were just like, oh, you're going to take my blood yeah. pressure? Uh-huh. I want to know. It'll become mundane to them soon enough. <laughs> but apparently to this biker, he didn't go to the doctor very much. <laughs> I'm not surprised. So I'm done. All right. Kelsey, mm-hmm. what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is? I'm going to guess 89. Really close. 93%. The consensus is one of the most compelling and entertaining zombie films ever. Dawn of the Dead perfectly blends pure horror and gore with social commentary on material society. Overrated or underrated? For me, it's a little overrated. I'd agree, but not by much. Yeah, not by much. I'd probably go in the 89 area. That was exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking 89. Because I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. It is too long. Yeah. There are scenes that I love that I was still just like, you needed to cut that down. Yeah. There is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Yeah, the makeup does look silly. The sound quality is bad. Yeah. Um, but the quality of the film, holistically. Overall, I yeah. really, really like it. I really enjoyed it. It's also going to be difficult for me to ever really give a really high rating to a zombie movie just because I've never been into zombie movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like 28 Days Later really vamped it up. And I feel like 28 Days Later did a lot for the zombie universe. Yeah. I love Night of the Living Dead. It's the fucking first one. Yeah. It's awesome. It's a masterpiece. But this was really, really good. It's just difficult for me to see a hulking thing that barely moves and it's like shoot it right so shoot it (laughs) as i was watching this (laughs) i understand with the masses when it's a mass of them that i understand but when it's a couple why is this an issue right so as i was watching it i came to the realization that dawn of the dead is the aliens to night of the living dead's alien (laughs) which is much more condensed in the original. It takes place in a claustrophobic setting. There are fewer of the enemies in Alien. There's just one. But in Night of the Living Dead, there are not nearly as many zombies as there are in this movie. And then in the sequel, 
it ramps up that number exponentially. There are just tons of them. They're everywhere. And in order to get around, they need to be able to handle this volume of them, which almost makes a zombie on an individual level or a xenomorph in the case of aliens more inconsequential. And they are consequential because of their numbers, not because of their individual danger, which is what the original in each of those is more about. And I like Alien more than Aliens. That's one of those, you know, Beatles or Elvis or Beatles or Rolling Stones questions, like which are you? Or Terminator or Terminator 2? Yes, Terminator or Terminator 2. Or Godfather or Godfather 2? Yes, very much so. You take an original and a sequel that's different in some way and see which one you like better. I'm very much an alien guy. I think because of how fun it is, I think I like Dawn better than Night. I think I like it better than Night. Even though I do think that Night of the Living Dead is a phenomenal movie. I would give Night of the Living Dead a higher score. I I I might do that too. Which is weird. I don't know why that is. Like, I know it's not an objective scale. It should be subjective anyway, so I should just rate it what I think it should get. But <laughs> if I had to pick one of the two, I think I enjoy Dawn of the Dead more than Night of the Living Dead. Maybe I appreciate well, yeah. Night more than Dawn, but I enjoy Dawn more than Night. Night is far more depressing. Yeah. Which is interesting because there's... From Especially with that ending. Oh, yes. That ending is super depressing. The first time I saw it, I was so mad. Yeah. Uh-huh. My jaw dropped. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I was, I was... It is not a happy ending. <laughs> I was really upset the first time I saw that. Night of the Living Dead is also easier to understand. It's a smaller story. Right. Dawn, like I said, it just, it thrusts you into this. And it's just like, what? What is happening? Yeah. What, is, what it's are you doing? newsroom chaos to tenement chaos to slower tenement chaos to traveling around in the helicopter to finding the mall and finding a safe place in the mall to cleaning out the mall to living in the mall to uh biker invasion to letting all the zombies in to kicking out all the bikers to escaping all the zombies like that's a lot of steps it is it is a long movie yeah i think that's one of his biggest flaws yeah but still, is. 89%. This is a very good movie, and you should absolutely see it if you absolutely. haven't seen it. Yeah. So that was 1978's Dawn of the Dead, but this is a double feature episode. The late night double feature show. So we're going to move on to 2004's Dawn of the Dead, written by, of all people, James Gunn of Guardians of the Galaxy and Tromeo and Juliet fame <laughs> and directed by Zack Snyder, the directorial debut of cinema pariah Zack Snyder, who also famously headed up the DC Extended Universe. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and directed 300. Much better. Yeah, much better. <laughs> Starring Sarah Pauly, Ving Rhames. Fuck yeah, Sarah Pauly. Yeah. Jake Weber, Mackay Pfeiffer, Ty Burrell, uh, tons of people. Also, uh, whom I appreciate, Matt Frewer, also known as Max Headroom. But before we get into that, 
slash cards. Mm -hmm. Kelsey, give me a question. A scientist obsessed with reanimating the dead creates a monster out of cadaver parts and, with the help of his assistant, gives it the brain of a criminal in this 1931 film. Frankenstein. Correct. All right. What actress played Clarice Starling in Hannibal 2001? Oh, oh he threw me for a loop there. Uh-huh, I knew it would. What's her name? Kelsey loves Hannibal Lecter, the books and the movies. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to do those. What is her name? Julianne Moore. Yep, you are right. Julianne Moore from The Big Lebowski and uh, Magnolia. She's the crazy redhead. And She's always the crazy redhead. Boogie Nights <laughs> and tons and tons of other things. She wasn't nearly as good as... Jodie Foster, whom we got to see. We've seen her live. We've seen her live for the 25th anniversary of Silence of the Lambs. We went to go see it in the theaters in Hollywood. And had she, no idea. No idea. No idea she was going to be there. She surprised everyone by showing up and, and talking a little bit and introducing the film. It was so very, very cool. That was really cool. Now, on to 2004's Dawn of the Dead. Kelsey, what is the premise? It's the same premise. Well... It's not, not really. Not exactly. It, it, it gets the core. So Dawn of the Dead is really, really famous for being the zombie mall movie. and Which is what this is. Yeah. This remake takes that and makes that the whole movie. Yes. So instead of a couple, we, well, I mean, Sarah Polly is a part of a couple for about two uh, minutes. We'll get there. <laughs> she escapes. Uh, so she finds Ving Rhames, who's awesome. Marcellus Wallace. Yes. And they team up, and then they come across an actual couple, Mackay Pfeiffer and some other chick. And she's the pregnant one this time instead of uh -huh. Sarah Polly. And they just have randomly decided they're going to go to the mall. No yeah. explanation. And they just fucking go to the mall. Yeah. And, and then, they get there really quick. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the movie plays out at the mall. And Pretty much. Yeah. Till the very end. Should people watch this movie? I wouldn't call it a must-see like I would call the original Dawn of the Dead. But it's fun. Yeah. They're, and they do new things with it, which yeah. I appreciated. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's not just a straight retelling. Right. I mean, they keep all the core stuff and they... Not even all of it, though. I suppose. You're right. But a lot of it is yeah. kept. Mm -hmm. But then they put in a lot of... What I liked about this version is that they brought in new characters. Yeah. I liked that because yeah. having only four characters probably made the first one seem even longer yeah. because you're only focusing on those people. But it was a little more intimate that way. Yeah, but this has more elements because of that. Yeah, it's interesting to watch. It's pretty good for a directorial debut, I would say, and pretty good for what we know Zack Snyder to put out. Just to run down. I love 300. 300's great. <laughs> 300 is great, but he has directed 15 films, including 300, Watchmen. I liked Watchmen. So did I. I think it's the best you could do with that material. Absolutely. Yeah. Fight me. Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahool. <laughs> Sucker Punch. Terrible. Yeah. But that's just a terrible movie. I don't know. It was that fun it... to watch. I didn't have as bad a time as everyone else did watching I it. I hate it. I would not say it's a good movie, but I also wouldn't say I hated it. Uh, Man of Steel, 
this is when we get into this stuff. I didn't, you know, I didn't mind Man of Steel like everyone else did. Yeah. I thought it was fine. It was, I mean, there, there are it problems. It made me interested in a character that I there normally hate. There are problems. And I think you could really like the character if it was done in a different way, which we have which almost never seen on film. I thought they did a great job with him. They made him interesting. They gave him issues, which usually it's just, I am Superman. Right. But he's Superman. It's not about <laughs> having human issues. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, That's and good shit. and he was the original director on Justice League. He's still listed That's on Justice shit. League Part Two, but I don't. I think he's been booted off the the franchise. But I don't know that it's his fault. I feel like he just. It's gets, his fault. Is it? Yeah, all those people, <laughs> all those people talking about release the Snyder Cut are fucking idiots. And no, you don't want it. He is a like looking at his track list. He has some outstanding shining stars. I think, which include 300 and Watchmen and maybe this really early on in his career. And then later on, it's just crap. And I am not a fan of his. But like I said, this is early on in his career when he was actually making some interesting stuff before he got really tired. You as, know? For, as for directing, I don't know that this stands out for directing in any no, way. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. It is so by the numbers. But we'll get to that. We're talking about the movie. We haven't even gotten into it yet. It's very simple. It is very simple as far as directing is yes. concerned. Yes. Although the first 10 minutes or so is something that you just did not see in movies at this point. And... A lot of the world, I remember when this came out, a lot of the world was super fucking impressed. And they actually aired it on television, the whole thing, to get people excited for it. And it 100% worked. This movie did very well. <laughs> anyway, we will talk about it. You can see it if you want to. If you have the time, I'd, I'd, I'd see it. Watch it or not, listen to this trailer. And when we come back, we will talk about 2004's Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Since the beginning of mankind, more than 37 billion people have lived and died, never to be heard from again. But this Friday, at dawn, all of that will change. God, they're here! Dawn of the Dead. We need to do something. Now. Dawn of the Dead. Is everyone dead? Dead-ish. Rated R. Starts Friday. Kelsey. Yes. What happens in Dawn of the Dead 2004? So we open on Sarah Polly, who is a nurse, and she's just getting off work. So she goes home, and she's with her husband, and they're all happy, and there's a girl that lives next door that they clearly know. But they're ignoring some stuff, like some people came in with bites to the hospital, and then there was some stuff on the news, but they ignored all of it. So morning, next morning... Little girl next door is in their house. She attacks the husband. The husband changes really quickly. So we already know right off the bat that, A, they can move a lot faster. She's running. He's running. Yeah. And we know that the bites right away are what changes them and that they can change very quickly. They don't, they don't really betray that throughout the rest of the movie, right? Like it's, they, they it takes them varying times to die depending on how badly they're injured and how well they take care of it. But like once they die, it's like, 
immediate zombie town. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of those few movies where people change into something that they they don't fluctuate. Like in the beginning, usually it takes forever. And then by the end of the movie, people are changing like that. This doesn't do that. It's as soon as you die, you are a zombie. Mm -hmm. So I at least appreciated that. And then we talked about before the break about how she runs into Ving Rhames. They run into Mackay Pfeiffer and his girlfriend. And then they just decide to go to the mall. So they're at the mall. What happens? So they get into the mall and they pretty quickly run into these three security guards, one of which is named CJ. He's going to be the main one. Uh, when they first meet them, CJ is definitely feeling a lot of power because he's in charge. And he makes them give over their guns and all this stuff. So then Sarah Polly, who is a nurse, is helping people, saying what they need, etc. And then we find out that the pregnant woman who's with Mackay Pfeiffer has been bitten. But it's a very small bite. And only her and Mackay Pfeiffer know this. So they keep it a secret. Right. Well, he, he keeps it a secret from her, too. When they find out later that it's the bites that turn you, and if you're bitten, once you die, you turn, he doesn't even share that with her. Yeah, and he keeps her away from everybody and tied down and stuff. Yeah. Uh -huh. They pretty quickly overturn CJ's power, and they lock them up, and we get the same discussion on the on the roof. You know, what are they? Why are they coming here? And then this time it's Ving Rhames who says it must be instinct or it could just be that they're coming for us. What are they? I don't know. Why are they coming here? Memory, maybe. Instinct. Maybe they're coming for us. Yeah, he gets both lines in this one, which I thought was interesting that they don't like nail that down a little bit mm -hmm. like they did in the original. It was... They're coming for us, maybe, but, you know, it's probably more likely that it's instinct. In this, it's the same character who has both lines, and he's like, I don't, I don't know. Then they're watching TV, and there's Forey, and he plays a televangelist, and he says, when there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Hell is overflowing, and Satan is sending his dead to us. How do you think your God will judge you? Well, friends, now we know. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. There's a lot of cameos. We got to see a sex machine as a cop who's explaining that we need to burn the bodies and kill the head. I understand you're having a difficult time killing these things, Sheriff. Just shoot them in the head. They seem to go down permanently when you shoot them in the head. Then you gotta burn them. You gotta burn. Danny, Danny! Put another round of that woman over there. Look! She's a twitcher! Twitcher. Now that is one cool motherfucker. And then we also see Roger on TV as another police officer, I think, kind of saying the same stuff. What I would suggest is that you come to Fourth Pastor, and if you can't make it here, we have multiple search and rescue teams out there, and they will find you. I can go down the list of references to the original here, including cameos. So, like you said, Ken Forey, Tom Savini, and Scott Reiniger, who were all from the original version, played different characters. Ken Forey gets the line, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth, because he's like a 
televangelist. Tom Savini is the sheriff, like you say. One of the clothing stores in the mall, when that one blonde that we didn't even know was part of the group until this moment, she gets lingerie on, and the store is called Galen Ross. That's the name of the actress who played Fran. Um, the trucks outside the mall are from BP Trucking, again, which is the, the same brand of trucks that they use in the original movie. It's actually a real company that loaned them the trucks, so they did it again for this movie. The WGON traffic copter makes an appearance. Ving Rhames' character is Kenneth, named after Ken Forey. There's a scene where, in the beginning, when Anna, who is um, Sarah Pauly, is driving and the, and, the, and the camera is overhead like a helicopter shot, we see two cars crashing into a gas station. And that is talked about in the original movie. And there's a Woolies Diner. And Wooly is the name of the cop, the SWAT member who went insane in the tenement scene from the original, the one who Peter kills. This movie, I wrote down, has the benefit of 27 years of tropes between it and the original that it can pull from. So it makes a lot more references to zombie movies that we're familiar with. Whereas Dawn of the Dead was setting these things up, this was more cashing in on all of them that had come between these two points. So it had the benefit of having having a more complete picture of a, of what a zombie outbreak would look like, but it's also like super predictable as a result. Because it's cashing in on all these tropes, we see everything coming a mile away, unfortunately. <laughs> Also, um, when they start shooting uh, zombies, these people who have never been taught how to use a gun are suddenly like the best shots in the world. Yeah, all you need to do is just tell them to shoot them in the head, and then all of a sudden they're an amazing shot and go right for the head. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. <laughs> you said you mentioned about how they run. Apparently, Zack Snyder intentionally did that because he thought a shuffling zombie would be too funny and comedic, and so he wanted them to be dangerous and aggressive Kind of like 28 Days Later. Mm -hmm. So he made them all run in this, mm -hmm. which is a very controversial topic, the running zombies thing. You know, it's like, do you land on this side or the other side? Do zombies run or do they shamble? So then, like we said, they get a group of new people that come in. And one of them is the neighbor father from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Also... Trash Can Man from the miniseries yeah. <laughs> The Stand. The Stand. Yeah. Um, he's also Max Hedrom and several other things. If you've ever seen a Sam Raimi movie, you've probably seen Matt Frewer and something. He was also in Xena and Hercules. Like he he's in all the Sam Raimi stuff. So you probably recognize Matt Frewer. And as well, there are a lot of uh things that allude to Stephen King novels as well in the very beginning the husband knocks his head through the door very much like in the shining yeah. here's johnny there's also a dog that is called chips which from it the right you got that Mr. reference chips. i did not catch that mm -hmm. so there's a bunch of stuff like that a lot of illusions so then an interesting thing that they bring up is that there is a person across the street who is in a gun shop andy and they become friends with him, and they communicate by showing signs, and they both have uh, binoculars. And whiteboards. And so one funny thing that they do is they play chess. 
across the roofs. Yeah, that was really cute. They also do, like you mentioned when we were talking about the previous movie, they also do um, celebrity lookalike game <laughs> where they communicate the name of a celebrity. Andy needs to find them in the horde of zombies and shoot them, yeah. which is pretty funny, like Burt Reynolds and stuff like that. It, it's it's pretty cute. This is also when they play Down with a Sickness by Richard Cheese, <laughs> who, if you don't know who Richard Cheese is, look him up. He's fun. He's a lounge singer that does covers of songs you wouldn't think would be lounge songs. And he makes them really funny that way. Zack Snyder chose all the music for this, apparently. Which is why this movie ends up in the in here, or why this song ends up in here. And uh, when the man comes around. So after the first 10 minutes, they do a montage of like news footage and stuff like that. And it's, and it's played to When the Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash, which I think is pretty great. I probably would have included this song in a zombie movie myself. It's it's I, I think it's pretty awesome. I think Zack Snyder did a good job in choosing the music for this, especially we're talking 2004. So having Down With The Sickness in there, which actually is in the end credits too, the real song, very 2004. Yes. Bobby, will you give it to me? Oh, <laughs> see the group getting to know each other and the guy that Sarah Polly ends up having some kind of weak relationship with it's really dumb and forced he says you know, oh, she God, asks yeah. like what were you worst at I was worst at being a husband what were you best at being a dad yeah and then we get the implied story about what happened to his children mm -hmm. and it's all very sad but yeah this relationship between Sarah Polly and Jack Weber comes out of fucking nowhere they did a really bad job of fostering this part of the story. Mm -hmm. Like, I forget what they say, but probably halfway through the movie, there's a moment and it's like, wait a minute. Are you two like interested in each other? Is that what we were we supposed to have gathered that prior to this point? Because it's really weird. It was very weak. Yeah. And they and they carry that throughout the movie to a moment at the end where you're like, you're supposed to care about one of these characters it's like no i i really don't care i really don't care at all yeah they didn't do enough to make them seem like they were actually i guess not in a relationship but even just interested in each other right you care about a lot of the minor characters i think like the matt frewer you care about his daughter until she goes nuts and she's just annoying uh you care about the old lady she's pretty dope yeah uh, you care about a lot of the minor characters, and then you care about... And they about, all die. Yeah, they all die. Matt Frewer gets killed because he was bitten. Uh, the old lady dies because she goes in to help the pregnant lady, and she gets bitten. Yeah. No, no, no. The old lady is killed by Mackay Pfeiffer. Oh, because she decides to kill the pregnant lady. Yes. And then he shoots her because he's gone insane. Yes. We don't care about Mackay Pfeiffer. We don't care about Ty Burrell because he's a jackass. We don't care about the ditzy blonde. And she gets chainsawed we barely even see her yeah like and when she first shows man. up we were like wait a minute is she a new character is that sarah Polly? like what what is this and there's this old man who we has like one line and he dies when he chainsaws the girl and it's 
So dumb. We also have CJ, who is a dick in the beginning, and he has this sort of like redemptive arc, but it's to the point where the way he redeems himself is by sacrificing himself. And it's almost like you want that to happen. So you're not like really broken up when he dies. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of characters that you just don't care about. It's like Sarah Pauly, Ving Rhames, and a lot of the minor characters. This movie is better in that it's not as long, right? The scenes don't go on for as long, etc. But it's because of that that we actually... Don't care as much about the characters. Yeah, it's a shorter runtime and way more characters. No bikers or anything like that. But yeah, you don't get time to develop any of these characters and really get to know or care about them. And then when they try to inject emotion into Sarah Pauly and Jake Weber's storyline, it's like this is they they so haven't earned this. <laughs> and Jake Weber, if you don't know that name, he's the, I guess, bad guy from Meet Joe Black. Yeah, he's no, also the he's also the husband in Medium, which is what I know him from. My dad used to watch a lot of Medium I don't know when that, that show is. was on the air. <laughs> it was a TV show from 2005 to 2011 that had Patricia Arquette in it, and she was like a psychic medium, oh. and she would solve people's problems. I think I've seen pictures of that. <laughs> but yeah, he was her hus- He was the loving husband. <laughs> That's where I know him from. So anyway, what have we gotten? We've gotten through a lot of this story already, kind of piecemeal. Yeah, because the story... There's not a lot to it. Yeah. And like I said, that's good for the runtime. I mean, I guess you could say it's a trade-off. I think that they probably could have found a happy medium, but they didn't. Yeah, they go too far, I think, the other way. Mm -hmm. So I think the next major plot point is, well, they decide they want to leave and they make plans with Andy. They fit these trucks out with all this armor and slots so they can put their chainsaws out and cut people up that are hanging off the side and all that. And they're going to do it in a couple days. But in the meantime, Andy's getting hungry. So they need to get supplies over to him. And so they send the dog because they find out that the dog survived in the you know, what the basement parking lot or whatever it was. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. That's why they realize we need to get out of here is because they infiltrated the basement. Yeah. And so, uh, but they know the dog's fine. So they know it doesn't go after dogs. They just go after humans. So they load this dog up with like these saddlebags and crane him down and then send him away. And the zombies get in. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt Frewer's daughter, who... Lindy Booth, Nicole is her name, is the character's name. She started a relationship with one of the security guys. And yeah, it's and that a was cute... kind of cute. We barely see it, but when yeah. we see it, it's cute. It's just because they're like the young, innocent, cute couple. Like, yes. like you know, that's it. It's like they they have to be paired up, you know? But so because she's lost everyone, she can't stand the idea of losing the dog. Right. So when the dog gets into the gun shop, zombies get in as well. And she flips out because she doesn't remember the entire premise of sending the dog over there in the first place and how the dog got over there just fine. The dog will be fine, Nicole. Yeah, it's the a dog dumb, will be fine. But she flips out like this movie has people do a lot. Well, she might be thinking that the rest of the group might say it's Fuck not it and worth leave it. the dog. Yeah. Uh-huh. So she flips out and runs across this the uh, the street manages to get over there fine somehow 
and gets in and somehow barricades herself in a room which he needs to do because andy's been bitten and he you know they're like oh he's on the roof what's he doing oh he's writing something on his sign what's it say and then he holds it up and it's just smears of blood so again it's instinct right i've been doing this i kind of liked that i thought that that was a cute way of revealing the fact that he had in fact changed well that kind of is what happens in the first one with steve we didn't talk about this when Steve gets up into the room, he, like, makes his way up there and shuts the door. Yeah, he shuts the door behind him. Like, yeah. Because that's what he's used to doing. Uh-huh. I thought that that was a pretty neat touch, too. And so so this has a similar feeling. So then they need to, we need to go now. And they bust out the trucks, and they go to rescue Nicole and the dog. And they do, right? Yeah. Uh, but lots of stuff happens they hit bumps, which is what causes that old guy to chainsaw the blonde chick, and the car ends up flipping. But they're the reason they're leaving. We didn't even talk about this is because Ty Burrell, the rich prick that he is, has a boat, <laughs> and so they're going to go to it. And they're pretty close when one of the trucks tips over. And if you don't know that name, he's on Modern Family. Yeah, he's, he's the, the main dad, I think. Yeah, he's the main dad on Modern Family. Um. But he is a total prick in this movie, which, I mean, he's funny. fun. He's yeah. really funny. He was really funny. Oh, sarcasm. Great. <laughs> While we're at it, why don't we swing by the marina and hop in my boat and take it for a pleasure cruise, you jackasses. And at one point, he says, like, Sarah Polly is, like, against killing someone at some point. He's just like, honey, if I ever get bit and change, you you kill me right away. She's like, oh, I will. You guys had really rough childhoods, didn't you? It's a little bit rocky. Hey, sweetheart, let me tell you something. You, uh, you have my permission. If I ever turn into one of those things, do me a favor. Blow my fucking head off. Oh, yeah, you can count on that. And then that pays off because he Mm -hmm. does get bitten in this process and she immediately shoots him in the head, Mm -hmm. which was kind of satisfying for her. But ultimately, it was a smart thing to do anyway. So So what happens is they're driving and they've got a zombie on their on their car. So Sarah Polly has the brilliant idea of take a hard left, right? Yeah. Well, somebody's yelling and then... And that's what causes the fucking car to tip over. It's like you had him on the well, outside. You could have just killed him. It's then chainsaw to the person. That was the then... different car. Oh, because, was it? Okay. Because she told Ving Rhames to do the hard left, the other car follows I, them. I didn't even put together that she's the reason that all that shit went down. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So CJ also sacrifices himself. But so, but so when the car tips over, Steve gets out and leaves Ving Rhames or somebody in the car. And my question is, what is Steve's plan? He's getting out of the car. I don't think he has one. He's, they're all like, they're, they're, the car's tipped over. They're all beat up to shit. And he's just trying to get out of being trapped in this truck. But then he, he leaves no Ving Rhames in there. Yeah. Which means that Sarah Polly couldn't have talked to Ving Rhames. So she must have talked to bad guy from meet joe black i don't know somebody anyway so then she ends up killing uh steve and then ving rames gets out they make it to the boat but not without a casualty jake weber has been bitten Mm -hmm. and he knows he's gonna turn and so they're like come on he's like nope i'm staying here i want to enjoy the sunset 
Ugh. Silly. Yeah. But what I do like about CJ's death. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. So CJ kind of gets left behind. He's just like, fucking figures. And yeah. then he kills. <laughs> and then he makes an explosion happen. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about the explosions that they do. So there's the first one where they take this propane tank. They they open the valve. They light it on fire. So it's shooting out all this fire. They throw it to a zombie because there's this big crowd of zombies in front of their trucks that they can't push through because it's just so dense. And one of the zombies grabs it and picks it up and they shoot it, causing it to explode. Now, that's a highly pressurized container. It is gas. It is on fire. So it would explode. But that explosion was like nuclear level. (laughs) It was way huge. It was ridiculously big. And then when they shoot the giant propane container what cj does at the end it's about as big as that one they really like the big explosions in here because Zack snyder is kind of a low rent michael bay (laughs) so then they get on the boat and there's a camera and the camera shows us a little bit of main father from Modern family and what his life was like yeah with hot chicks on his boat because he's rich and then they it you know goes in and out and it shows the rest of the group and everybody keeps telling the guy with the camera like get the fucking camera out of my face yeah. like we're doing a lot of other shit here but it tells this story pretty succinctly in that like they find another boat uh there's a head in a cooler for some reason but it's a zombie head that's still alive Their boat runs out of gas, but they do eventually make it to the island. And of course, the island is inhabited. If they go to an island, at least they're not dealing with a virtually unending population of zombies. There's a limited amount of people. And once they kill them, no more zombies can get there. So maybe they can live a normal life. But it appears from the footage that's taken, that's probably not the case. We don't get confirmation. The camera falls and there are zombies everywhere. But it looks like they're all going to die anyway. And that is the Dawn of the Dead 2004 remake. It moves pretty swiftly. It's like an hour and a half long. It's like it's almost an hour shorter than the original one. So do you want to talk about lightning round? Mm -hmm. All right. Give me something. Sarah Polly is a pretty great badass throughout the movie. She never really gets too scared and she never lets anything stand in her way. She even kills her boyfriend when necessary at the yeah. very beginning. And she just gets out. She gets in her car. She ignores other people that are like, help me. Yep. No, she's pretty smart in that way. She doesn't fall for any of that stuff. She does have one moment where when Jake Weber is like, we need to kill Matt Frewer. Because he's been bitten and you just figured out that it's the bite that causes you to turn. We need to kill him. And he takes his gun to him and she's like, no, you can't do that. And Jake's like, but you just said he's going to turn into a zombie. Like she doesn't make her case very well, I feel. Because really what her case is, is let's be humane about this. Like, let's watch him. Let's let him live. Let's let him do it the way he feels he wants to do it or whatever. It's like, yes, I recognize he's going to turn and we need to deal with that, but not by pulling a gun on him and his daughter. Yeah. And I mean, that's what they do in the in the original. Like he waits until he turns. And I think that's what you should do. Yeah. The world turns to hell really fast when Sarah oh, yeah. Polly wakes up. And she gets out there. There's a terrible green screen of like the world just going to shit. Yeah. 
And it's like, that happened real fast. Like I said, though, that was really impressive for the time. <laughs> it was like, oh, shit, this is bigger than. So like in the original Night of the Living Dead, they have one of those moments. And it's a moment that hadn't really ever been done before. You got to remember, this is 1968. And you see a zombie outside. Right. And it's like real close up on the camera and it's shambling around and the camera kind of pulls back and, and and rotates to the side. And you can see that it's not just this one zombie. There are a lot of zombies out there. And holy shit, this we're not going to deal with this one zombie at a time. There are tons of them. And this is much bigger than we thought it was. And this is a similar sort of epic version of that because it's 2004 we can do special effects better than 1968 <laughs> so that's kind of their version of that moment if you don't know who sarah Pauly is yeah who's sarah Pauly? i grew up knowing her from anna baffinley <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about this before kelsey loves anna green gables <laughs> uh but she's also in go she's yeah she's the main go. character in go also when she meets up with Ving Rhames and then they meet up with Mackay Pfeiffer. Mackay Pfeiffer and the dude from Meet Joe Black. He's like, you know, we need to go this way or whatever. And Ving Rhames gives him this look like civilian. Yeah. You're gonna fucking tell me what to do? <laughs> right, like, yeah. I understand how to handle the situation better than you do. Yeah. We never really find out what the guy from Meet Joe Black does for a living. Like, no. Like like we said, there's not a lot of character building. Character building happens in those moments where, oh, we're having fun. We're learning about each other. And, oh, this is really serious. Like, those are the moments. Like, single lines. Like, I think I was a good father, you know. Uh, Mokai Pfeiffer, if you don't know who that is, he's O from O. <laughs> yeah, when he was really young. He was O in the movie O, which is a modern retelling of Othello with Josh Hartnett. Hartnett. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful man that he is as Iago. He was also future in 8 Mile. Yes, and, he was in 8 Mile. Yeah, and, and he had several seasons in ER, too. He even gets his name in the song from 8 oh, Mile. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. This is my life, and I ain't got no Mackay Pfeiffer. <laughs> Something paid the Pie Pfeiffer. <laughs> You're so good at that, Kelsey. I you know. should be a rapist. I know. <laughs> and it's no movie, it's no when Sarah Polly meets CJ for the first time, she's like, get that fucking gun out of my fucking face. And she's pretty awesome there. And yeah. he he asks her, like, what are you, a fucking doctor? And she goes, no, I'm a fucking nurse. It's yeah, great. Uh -huh. yeah, it's pretty cool. Apparently, James Gunn claims he got a lot of backlash when he was hired to write this movie because I don't know if you know this, but he wrote the Scooby-Doo movies, which, which are really bad. They're not that bad. Oh my God. They really aren't. Nobody's saying they're masterpieces or anything like that. And yes, they're very silly, but, but like maybe watch the original Scooby-Doo movie. You mean the one with Freddie Prince Jr.? Buffy, Matthew Lillard. Yes. And the chick from Freaks and, Freaks and Geeks. Yes, yes. That's a terrible movie. It's really bad. Right, but it's it's not. This is my argument for Scooby-Doo. 
it's not trying to be anything more than Scooby-Doo. And people are judging it on, is it a good movie? It's not trying to be a good movie. It's trying to be Scooby-Doo. So if you judge it on those merits, it's not awful. But he also did lots of other things. But when, when he was hired to do this, people loved Dawn of the Dead. So when he was hired to write this, they're like the Scooby-Doo guy. <laughs> now they got red on their faces. He's also the Guardians of the Galaxy guy. Yeah. And people fucking love those movies. Well, the first one's way better than the second one. I, there are people who disagree with you. And they're wrong. <laughs> but yeah, I see what you're saying. But I'm sorry, Scooby-Doo is terrible. Yeah. And I grew up loving that show. Okay. I was watching the credits because, you know, these flashes of the, the video recorder come up during the credits. And I saw a name in there, Heather Langenkamp Anderson. And I was like, wait, is that the... Heather Langenkamp? Because she's listed as production crew. I'm like, what is she doing in production crew here? And so I looked it up, and sure enough, it's Heather Langenkamp, who's the main character from Nightmare on Elm Street. She Nancy. Nancy, yes. She apparently co-owns a special effects studio called AFX Studio, and they worked on this film. Good for her. I thought that was really awesome. Yes. <laughs> Very good for her. When they're in the basement, we get a shot of shadows of zombies coming. Yeah. And it feels like they took that straight from 28 Days Later, which is funny because 28 Days Later stole from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's all very incestuous. Very. <laughs> very. Uh, they also, we talked about the different versions of zombies in the original and about how they were designed in ways that would be like, okay, how did they die? You know? In this one, they talked about how long had they been dead. And if you paid attention to when they were killed, they have different color blood. The brighter the blood, the more recently dead they are. The longer they've been dead, the darker, blacker their blood is. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I think that's it. All right, Kelsey. What do you think 2004's Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead got on Rotten Tomatoes. I know what it got. Yeah, I know you do. 76. 76%. A kinetic, violent, and surprisingly worthy remake of George Romero's horror classic that pays homage to the original while working on its own terms. What would you give it? I'd probably give it a 79. Really? A 79? I probably would give it a 75. So you think 76 is a, is slightly underrated? Slightly. Okay. I think they do a great job with the material, and I like that they bring in new ideas. Yeah. It's quick, and it's fun, yeah. and it's kind of mindless. Exactly. It's very predictable. It's just a fun zombie movie. Yeah. I mean, we didn't talk about the baby being a zombie. Because we barely see it. We see it for like two seconds. Yeah. Uh -huh. There's a lot of camera changes, and then a gunshot goes off. Like with Jake Weber who stays to watch the sunset, he he takes his gun out, and then we hear a gunshot. Yes. We know he killed himself. There are a lot of those kind of moments in it. Um, it thinks it's poignant, but it's really not. If It's it's a, just a shitty little hour and a half popcorn movie, you know? Yeah. It's fun. It's good. Yeah, but it's, it's not, not bad. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's no lifeblood. Oh, God. <laughs> or Red Clover. Or X-Ray. Oh, my God. It's none of those. No. It's a lot of fun to watch, and parts of it are actually yeah. pretty good. If you have a little more than an hour to kill, 
and you're interested in zombies and you haven't seen it, go see it. Yeah. Why not? If you like zombie movies, definitely see it. Yeah. So, when I was in high school, I had a favorite band. They are sadly not together anymore. Kelsey, who is this favorite band of yours? Their name was My Chemical Romance. Who? MCR. (laughs) Oh, okay. And I love their first album. And most kids don't even know. Like, now everybody knows them for the Black Parade, which was their worst album, in my opinion. Uh Anyway, so their first album, in my opinion, is the best. And most people don't. Most people. I can't believe you're a hipster about My Chemical Romance. (laughs) Don't even know that they had an album before. Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, Uh which is where they got their first big hit from. Anyway, so their first album has a song, and because of this song, I always wanted to see the original Dawn of the Dead. But like I said, the first time I tried to watch it, I was like... Is this a bad copy? What's going on? Exactly. I thought I'd start it in the middle, and I was just like, I don't understand what's happening, and so I turned it off. But so they have a song... All about the original Dawn of the Dead. And the reason that we know that it was about the original and not about the new one and not because he wanted to make money off of the new one is because it was made two years before the new one came out. Yeah. So it's not like they're jumping on the hype train. They're the real deal. Yes. They're legit. Yes. Gerard Way is the man. I love Gerard Way. (laughs) I had an enormous crush on that man. I had in high in college. I had a whole wall dedicated to pictures from My Chemical. Romance. I was in college when My Chemical Romance was big, and so I was a little too late for them. They were a little too late for me, I guess. And so now I'm going to read you the lyrics. Okay. Now, what you have to understand is it's not about the movie. It's like an homage to the movie. Uh huh. So here's how it goes. Okay. Late dawns and early sunsets. Just like my favorite scenes. Then holding hands and life was perfect. Just like up on the screen. And the whole time while always giving. Counting your face among the living. Up and down escalators. (laughs) Makes me happy. (laughs) Pennies and colder fountains. Because the fountains do have a part to play as well. uh There's that fat dude who dies and falls into a fountain. (laughs) Elevators and half-price sales. Trapped in by all these mountains. Which I didn't notice if there were mountains. Yeah. Uh Running away and hiding with you. I never thought they'd get me here. Not knowing you changed from just one bite. I fought them all off just to hold you close and tight. But does anyone notice? But does anyone care? And if I had the guts to put this to your head, but would anything matter if you're already dead? And should I be shocked now by the last thing you said? Before I pull this trigger, your eyes vacant and stained. But does anyone notice? But does anyone care? And if I had the guts to put this to your head, and would anything matter if you're already dead? Should I be shocked now by the last thing you said? Before I pull this trigger, your eyes vacant and stained. And in saying you loved me made things harder at best. And these words changing nothing as your body remains. And there's no room in this hell. There's no room in the next. And our memories defeat us. And I'll end this duress. 
And these words changing nothing as your body remains. And there's no room in this hell. There's no room in the next. But does anyone notice there's a corpse in this bed? We can obviously see how that relates to, you know, life after the zombie uprising. Mm -hmm. It's also a metaphor for a dying relationship, of course. Uh Like I said, it's an homage. It's not trying to tell the story of the movie. But I like it a lot. And I think that it's cute that he wanted to write a song about his favorite movie. You know what, Kelsey? Thank you for sharing that part of your life with me. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next week, Kelsey, what are we watching? So next week is our April Fool's week. (laughs) Are we doing one week? Just one week of April Fool's? Just one. Just one week. So we're not going to have a holiday fortnight like we do with St. Patrick's Day and Valentine's Day. Next year we'll have another April Fool's. Because uh-huh. I I, ha- I could only find four movies that have to do with <laughs> April Fool's. So I'm saving the other two for next okay, year. Okay, okay. But this year we're going to watch April Fool's Day. Yes, April Fool's Day. Which we've seen. We have seen it. And April Fool's. Which we have also seen. We have also seen April Fools. And we have a great story of how we saw April Fools. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to tell that story. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, too. Um, and then April Fools Day, we just saw it because it was a slasher. That has us an actress in it from one of my favorite movies of all time. We'll get to that in next week's episode for April Fools Day. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, Kels. All right. So until next time. You can reach us at podcemetery at gmail.com if you'd like to talk about any of the movies we talked about this week or in the future, or you'd like to recommend a movie for us to add to our list. You can also follow us on Twitter at podcemetery at gmail.com, and I'm currently working on a website where we can host all this stuff in one singular place, so expect that in the near future. This has been Pod Cemetery. My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And Kelsey, what do we say at the end here? There are some things worse than death, and one of them is sitting here waiting to die. Before we get there, like always, slash cards. We need to get these cards. <laughs> little shop, little shop of horrors, little shop, little shop of tears. Mm, <laughs> you gonna keep going? <laughs> I could.
They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're coming for you, Barbara. <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. You get bitten, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> she finds Vin Rames. Ving Rames. What? You said Vim. It's Ving. I thought it was Vin, as in like no, Vince. That's Vin Diesel. No, it's Ving, as in ring, but with a V. Because Zack Snyder is kind of a low rent Michael Bay. I even had the video game, which is really bad. Which video game was it? I think it's from the Super Nintendo. There was a Scooby-Doo on the Super Nintendo? I don't know if there was. I'm pretty sure. Okay. It was really hard. I was like, why can't I do anything? There's a PlayStation, original PlayStation one that's pretty bad. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Because yeah. we had the original PlayStation. Turn. Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahoo. 